This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. He comes in season seven like this obnoxious uh, tough guy. And, it's like um, this like 90s rock star shows up with his eyeliner with, with, on out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. He has one long obnoxious guitar solo. My name is Joe Gross. I am the film and culture critic for the Austin American Statesman. And I'm Phil Jankowski, City Hall reporter slash giant nerd. And we are the hosts of Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season, which is a podcast series examining the final season of Game of Thrones over the next six weeks. Well, here we are, Game of Thrones fans. Welcome to Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season. My name is Joe Gross. I write about culture and everything that goes with it for the Austin American Statesman. I'm here with Phil Jankowski, a colleague of mine who has forgotten more about Game of Thrones in general than I will ever know. And we are going to be talking about the entire final season of Game of Thrones. And I think we're going to start this week by talking about where we left off at the end of season seven. And where we think folks are going to go in season eight, and maybe who will die and who will not die. My bet is that everyone will be a corpse in the snow by the end of the season, and the Night King will be standing over all of them like a wrestler who has just hit you with a chair. So, uh, so the Night King is King Kong Bundy in, much, this, yeah. in this scenario. I mean, he already, you know, he lifts his arms uh, in, that, in that one scene, and he already looks like, you know, the internet shruggy, so we can we can uh, get several more identities in there yeah. for everyone's favorite frozen demon. So let's dive in, Joe. Where did uh, where where were we left I at th- the end of well, last why season? Well, why don't we? Why, here's what I, here's what I think we should do. There are lots of competing interests in Game of Thrones. It Absolutely. is a show about people going after what they want in lots of different kinds of ways. Some incredibly violent and repulsive. Some involving dragons. And I've divided all of these people into teams. Mm-hmm. And I think we should just go through the teams and figure out where we are and where we last left these folks and sort of what we think will happen to them moving forward. I would say this sounds like fantasy sports, but this is just straight up fantasy. This is so just, it yeah. sounds good. It's, there's no, no money is changing hands. Although I'm sure there is a Vegas line on literally every character in this program, because if Las Vegas has taught us anything, it's that you can bet on absolutely anything. <laughs> All right, let's start with the Lannisters. Um, All right. Uh, Team Lannister, uh, the leader, of course, is Cersei Lannister, and she's in kind of a weird spot at the end of the final episode of season seven. She has lost all of her children. Tommen is dead. The girl in Dorne is dead. Joffrey is obviously really dead. And her brother slash partner, Jamie, has also abandoned her. Well, 
I shouldn't say that. We don't know if he's abandoned her. We know that he has recognized that she might be totally insane <laughs> and has rode off into the sunset as snow is falling to honor his promise to the Starks to join with them to fight the Night King. Uh, Circe has essentially told Jamie that she is going to betray the Stark Targaryen alliance by ordering Euron Greyjoy, man, the soap opera elements of this, when you say them out loud, it's insane. She's ordered Euron Greyjoy to sail to uh, the Iron Bank and get that mercenary company. The gold, Is it the Golden Company? It is the Golden Company, yes. Yeah, they're the guys that sort of hang around the Iron Bank and protect it, right? They are, well, in the, uh, I would I would say in the books, they are basically the uh, biggest, baddest group of swords, hired mercenaries in the entire world. Gotcha. They're called the Golden Company because, well, it costs gold to hire them and they never break a contract and they are just supposed to be these just crazy, crazy good warriors. They are an uns- they, yeah, they are, they are an unstoppable, potentially unstoppable mm-hmm. addition to the Lannister army. And she wants, I believe, to bring them back to King's Landing to hold it after is that correct or is, I mean we'll we'll see we don't that, know yet we, okay. we really don't know yeah. one thing that I would like to say that is just so interesting about what's going on with the Lannister family is that more so than any other time in the show they are kind of a house divided the three children are just spread out disparate and it's kind of a really interesting symmetry or the the inverse of symmetry with House Stark we start this season we kind of see them all split off while we see the Starks kind of coming together after originally being like blown apart just in the first season. Yeah, that's a really good point. The Starks have never, until this most recent season, the Starks were never in the same place at the same time. Yeah, not since season one, episode one. one. And everyone was like six. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's a great point. The Starks are all together at Winterfell and figuring out what the next move is. Whereas the Lannisters are everywhere. And at the end, I thought it was really striking. There is at the end of episode seven of last season, Cersei is alone. She reminded me of Michael Corleone at the end of The Godfather Part Two, where he's just this immensely powerful figure who has alienated absolutely everybody in his life. And Cersei's done exactly the same thing. It doesn't get much more loyal than Jamie. And even he was like, are you going to yeah, kill me? Even he's noped out. He's like, oh, even you've even pushed me beyond. Yeah. Uh, just like, like I stabbed a king in the back and you're freaking me out. <laughs> so that's sort of where Cersei is. She is you know, the most as uh, her brother. I believe it's her brother puts it the most murderous woman in uh, Westeros. And she is ready to completely screw over allies that she has just made. Uh, let's move on to Jamie. Jamie. Jamie had kind of a big season seven. Yeah. He witnessed the full power of a Targaryen dragon. Yeah. He has a fantastic scene with, is it Olena? Olena. Olena yeah. Tyrell. And uh, who looks him dead in the eye and says, yeah, I killed your son. Make sure his mother knows that. All I can say about Jamie is he's like low key, the most interesting character on the show. He's had an amazing arc. Yeah. And it is just so fascinating. It's, it's just incredible. It speaks to the storytelling that you start at season one, episode one. You see him doing some most foul things and then throwing a little boy out a window. And now here we are in season seven and everyone's rooting for this kind of rooting for 
other and, guy. And yeah, very much. I think like everybody's rooting for this guy. Yeah, he he went from cartoon supervillainy to mm-hmm. a genuinely well-rounded guy yes. who you know went through some stuff. Like he ended up prisoner, uh, mm-hmm. a prisoner of war. He lost his hand. He ended up sort of falling out with his father in a way that was kind of depressing to watch when Tywin was like, this is a couple of seasons ago, your options are going back to Casterly Rock and ruling in my stead and being a regular human being mm-hmm. who doesn't, you know, have sex with his sister and uh, being a regular type monarch, more or less. Or you can be a Kingsguard and hang around here and do nothing with your life. You're like 40 years old and you're kind of useless. And uh, that was kind of a grim moment. And I think he's undergone the most, his arc has been the most humanizing yeah. in, in, in the course of the show. Some people have stayed, you know, started evil and stayed evil. Joffrey yeah. like, just was yeah. a horrible Cersei, human being. definitely. Cer- Cersei started bad and got like way worse. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Joffrey started bad and sort of stayed awful. But Cersei got, I mean, you know, like I said, she turned to Michael Corleone at the end of Godfather 2. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like him and Sansa Stark are, have probably the two best character arcs, but I would give it to Jamie if, you know, somebody uh, had to put a gun to my head and said, who's got the better character arc? And I would say that, that I would say him. And I actually really just credit Nicolaj Coster Waldau for just, I'm probably saying that wrong, but, but just for really acting the heck out of this. I've been going back and sporadically looking at stuff. And when you go back to some of those mid seasons, the stuff between him and Brienne, when he gets his hand cut off and you really see him just like go from this, this arrogant, mighty warrior to suddenly realizing, you know, there's a part where Brienne says something to be like, something bad's happened to you. This is the first time in your entire life. This happens to real people all the time, totally. you know? Yeah. And it's just like, it's really powerful. It's a great, it's a, the, the hand thing is sort of a great reminder that, you know, we're all one real bad day away from not being who we are anymore. Right. He, you know, he's considered a great swordsman, loses his hand, and then suddenly he's kind of nothing and has to start from zero yeah. with, you know, some sellsword teaching him how to fight again. Right. You know, we forgot to do this with Circe. We're going to do it now. Circe, you think she's going to die? Big time. She's got to go. 100%. Jamie, you think he's he's going to go? Oh, uh, I mean, like, I feel like the starting the, the starting point for every character is like 75%. Yeah, yes, it's, we're it's rough. Die. Yeah. I'm going to say no on I, him. I think you're wrong as hell. I think he's toast. <laughs> I think Jamie's going to end up. I think, you know, best case scenario for Jamie, he dies heroically. Uh, worst case, he uh, becomes a frozen zombie, courtesy of the Night King. Yes. And I also think there is a very high likelihood that he is going to kill his sister. Oh, yes. The Valonqar prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. That's guy. I mean, prophecies tend to come true. Yeah. In this show. Our last Lannister. Well, actually, you know what? Let's save Tyrion for Team Targaryen. That's, that's, where, where, that's where he's at now. So they, team he La- got traded. Team, yes. Team Lannister <laughs> is basically two people at this point. Uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry. One more. You're on Greyjoy. Euron Greyjoy is very much Team Lannister. Uh, he comes in season seven like this obnoxious uh, tough guy. And, <laughs> it's like, um, this like 90s rock star shows up with his eyeliner with, on out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. He is one long obnoxious guitar solo. He uh, storms out during the uh, parlay at the Dragon Pit. Yeah. And says, I'm out of here. That thing is terrifying. Goodbye. Yeah. Those and, don't swim. So right. Yeah, all right. I'm out. Yeah. Um, all a ruse. And it's all. Uh, yeah. It's all theater. Yes. It, he grabs his fleet, which is the greatest in the world, mm-hmm. according to him. 
and heads off to get the golden company. Uh, you're on, dead or alive. Dead, big time. Totally dead. Speaking of people who are probably also going to die because they are already dead, uh, also Team Lannister, uh, Lannister uh, Gregor Clegane, uh, still alive as a zombie-ish guy, uh, thanks to uh, Kyburn, the world's creepiest, not really a maester, mm-hmm. um, sort of the Victor Frankenstein of King's Landing. He uh, brought Gregor Clegane kind of back to life after he was killed. And now he's this just zombie giant dude and sort of Cersei's bodyguard. Yeah. And uh, he's just he's still there. He's still standing around. Do you think he's going to die again? Yes. A hundred percent. The question, though, is how is he going to die? I'm going with incinerated by dragon. I am going to go with killed by his brother. That I think just might be a oh, lot of that's fan right. service. Yes, but, you know, no, the, you're, uh, I, think, the I think you're absolutely right. Bowl. And I think I think that that is just you know I actually think that that's an interesting thing because if he was incinerated by his own by his own brother because that's a whole that, sort of that would be Freudian fire bad thing yeah. and it would go with the uh, your little Frankenstein. It would go with the Frankenstein thing. Too. Yes, totally. <laughs> Um, so that wraps up uh, Team Lannister. Long story, very short. They're all going to die. They're all going to die. We hope. <laughs> uh, on to Team Targaryen. Let's start with Daenerys. Always with the questionable choices in men. Yeah. Uh, she tells her, what's that guy's name? Dario Naharis. Right. At the end of uh, mm-hmm. season six, you got to stay at Marine to yeah. rule it. And that lovesick doofus is kind of like, I want to come with you. And she says, no, I've kind of had it with you. Yeah. Because you're really a little boring. A really great scene, by the way, is following that where where the in the scene where she names uh, Tyrion Hand of the King. Yes, one of the better scenes. Terrific. One of the one of the best parts about that is he says, "Oh, you you had to you you had to do that," and she's just like, "Yes, I know I did, and I felt nothing." And you're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, no, she is she is a ruler. She has figured out the old you know Elizabeth First trick kind mm-hmm. of, or she seems like she's figured out the old Elizabeth First trick is just like I need to be sort of this untouchable figure, right? In order to lead, except that she gets to Dragonstone. Mm -hmm. Jon Snow rolls up and says, makes those puppy dog eyes at her dragon. Yeah, just sort of like strokes his beard and like mopes (laughs) at her. And she's like, all right, well, this is well. what's what's really ironic is I don't think those two actors particularly have any chemistry like at all. Yeah, I don't buy their attraction for one minute. Oh, no, I don't think it really works. It has never scanned right on screen. I don't know why. And maybe that's something that will be fixed in season eight. But I have I've never been crazy about their scenes together. They don't feel they, they've never felt real to me. But anyway, going back to Daenerys, she lost a dragon. She lost one of her children. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the mother of dragons. One of them died and is now reborn as a zombie ice undead dragon with it bl- breathes blue flame. Right. And is now firmly on Team Night King. The last time we saw that dragon, it was wrecking the crap out of the wall, Mm -hmm. which is supposed to be this impregnable thing that has stood for a thousand years. And the undead dragon takes it out in like two shots, which allows the army of the dead to start marching south into Westeros. So Daenerys has had kind of a long year. She's uh, at Dragonstone. She's with Jon Snow. She's building an anti-Lannister coalition. Yes. 
and and then makes the makes well they have the whole sort of let's go get a zombie and fetch a zombie and bring it back to king's landing which sort of you know that's a bizarre sort it's of it's a very sort of silly thing. but but whatever let's throw that aside you kind of need it yeah you, you, apparently you needed that but it's fine it, it it was it was kind of just a clumsy tool to end up where we're at which is a sort of a sort of truce uh a supposed truce between the lannisters and and the targaryens yeah, she's also found out the hard way that her hand is not a wartime conciliary. That's he true. makes two huge mistakes. Mm-hmm. He screws up with the fleet that Euron just smashes to pieces. Yeah. And he screws up again with sending the Unsullied to Casterly Rock. And Jamie is like three steps ahead of him, empties the rock of its provisions, which leaves poor Grey Worm standing on the uh, parapet saying, well, now what? Now, and what? now they got to march through Westeros to get back to Dragonstone. So uh, that is not looking great for them. And of course, the biggest thing that happens to Daenerys is she and Jon Snow start a relationship and she does not know that she is his aunt. Right. Which is uh, a little weird for both of them, I think, because uh, Jon doesn't know. Jon Snow, we find out, is the, which a theory long suspected by fans. Right. right? Big time. That he is the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark and is not uh, Ned Stark's bastard, but is the trueborn son. The trueborn. Yeah. The heir to the the, uh, the heir to the throne. The, the rightful heir to the throne. That's going to be a really interesting thing um, moving forward this season, just just to see how that affects. Because I'm guessing early on, he's going to find out and she's going to find out. And then it's going to be this really sort of interesting dynamic of, well, who actually is going to lead this whole thing when we're all done? And John's always been the reluctant leader. Totally. Um, and then you can always throw in there, oh, by the way, Targaryens love to marry other Targaryens. They like a, do. A, an aunt and <laughs> and her nephew. That's like A-OK yeah, with that, that does, family. That doesn't even that doesn't even make that doesn't make Targaryens blank. Right. Like that's like, oh, it's fine. It would just be it, the, the main thing is just that if they're going by the traditional sort of right of succession, it would be that no, actually. John is is well, the rightful ruler. You know, I think a lot of you know when it became clear as the the story went on that you know the larger the larger title is a song of ice and fire, mm-hmm. which either meant that at the end of the day it's going to be a Stark versus a Targaryen, yeah, for the Iron Throne, or a Stark and a Targaryen or on dragons the Iron versus ice zombies, and, yeah, and nobody really knows. I don't think anybody knows which it is yet. So no. let's get to let's get to a, a, a tough one. Daenerys Targaryen lives or dies. Okay, so I'm just going to put a, a caveat on this and just and just say that I'm totally just gonna gonna sort of sort of bunt on, Bring on this it. and just say Danny dies and and John lives or vice versa. Only one of them lives, but one of them must live. That is a really egregious head. And if I'm going to pick one, I will pick one. I will at least go that Brit, far. Yes. I'm going to say that Danny lives and John dies. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to agree with you. I yeah. think John dies a heroic and kind of depressing death right. because several of the cast members have said that they've, you know, they've read all the scripts. It's all shot. It's all edited. Mm-hmm. That when they saw the last script, even though even the last scene, like they all had to get drunk or something. Really? It was very depressing. I've um, tried to stay away from that stuff as much as possible. I think you should. The one thing that I, I will say that just, you know, from in the show is just that there's there's a point right before the Battle of the Bastards where John and Melisandre are together. And he says, if I die on the field, don't bring me back. 
I don't want to come back. That to me said, okay, this this makes sense. If there comes some sort of situation where it's I could sacrifice myself for for Danny or vice versa, somebody's got to die. Well, just John's like, well, I'm already dead. You know, I'm dead inside at least. Yeah, I mean, he he was pretty mopey. He's gotten he was he started mopey and then got even mopier <laughs> yeah. after, after yeah, he was brought yeah. back from the dead, which happens. Um, the only thing that I will say, just to t- kind of make you make you maybe double think that, is there is this whole prophecy of the prince that was promised Azora High, et cetera, et cetera. I can already see your eyes glazing over a little bit. But part of that whole <laughs> prophecy is that the wielder of this crazy sword that becomes the it kills what he loves and it doesn't have to be a a he kills she but that's the way the original prophecy was was the one who became azora high murdered a woman that he loved Uh and so that could happen with him realizing that in order to defeat this army we've got to got to murder danny well that's incredibly depressing This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by the Alamo Drafthouse. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. If we're going to talk about theories, let's talk about Bran already being the Night King, which is one that is floating out there, uh, you know, in the sort of Reddit verse and everything like that. And that and that one is well, let's let's save let's save Bran for for when we talk about oh, the stars. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the only two team Targaryens that uh, I want to touch on real quick are Davos Seaworth, one of my favorite characters. In Same, the love him. Entire series, a, a genuinely decent man. Yes, in a world where there is almost nobody who isn't at least a little bit of uh, a reprehensible human being. Such great one-liners too. Totally, I love it. Totally great guy. He is now Team Targaryen. He got Gendry out of, after being bad at picking leaders, he was pro-Stannis right. for a long time. Stannis was a stiff. Even the actor playing him always looked like, this guy is boring. I don't know where to go with him. <laughs> that guy looked miserable all the time. And he got Gendry out of King's Landing. Yes. And uh, he's currently on the boat with the rest of the team. Dead or alive, Davos Seaworth. <sighs> Dead. Yeah, it's going to be really depressing to see him bodied. Yeah. Uh, Melisandre. She bounces after declaring her mission accomplished. I brought together ice and fire. That's her whole thing. Yeah. And she was, I mean, she was told, leave or die. Yeah, leave or die. Yeah. No, da- Davos had kind of had it with her. Yeah. And she had. Um, One too many little girls burnt uh, alive. Yeah. For him. It's not a great look. She is also an incredibly tedious character. No wonder she liked Stannis so much. Yeah. Both of them are amazingly boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I am radically pro Melisandre being put out of her misery. Uh, yeah. Possibly and, uh, by a dragon. She she says so herself. Yeah. She, she says in one, in one of the great little scenes to, to Vera, she says, uh, I have to come back one more time to die. Yeah. Also, you're going to die too, Varys. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, she's so dead. yeah, dead 100%. Which brings us to Varys, the castrated, asexual, bald, advisor to several different kings that dude is a survivor yes um he has lived through at least two different coups and uh keeps hanging on Varys is incredibly good at being not dead he's he's a guy who uh looks out for number one but he also looks out for the kingdom. He right. he's not Littlefinger. Right. He's not the guy who which is why that scene 
many years ago with him and Littlefinger was so interesting is you have two people who are profoundly self-interested. It's a ladder. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, but it's, it's two different ways of looking at power. You know, Littlefinger was only thinking about himself. Varys, you know, would love to sit on the Iron Throne, but he's also, he also wants to see civilization survive. Right. He wants stability and, um, he is so he is currently hanging with Danny mm-hmm. and uh, Team Targaryen. Do you think he's going to die? He's dead. He's totally dead. All Big right. Time. On to- and, and mainly just because what Melisandre said. I mean, she's she's the basically like I'm the prophecy person in this show. You know, I look into the fire and guess what? I see Varys dead Varys along with dead. me, you know, and so I believe that 100 percent heroic death or goes out like a chump, like a chump. Oh, man, that's going to be very sad. I'm I'm shooting. I'm uh, very I'm, sad. I am hoping for <laughs> I am hoping for a heroic death because I love that dude. But, you know, I think the thing that's kind of great about this show, and especially because now that we are profoundly off book, as right. they say, mm-hmm. is that I don't think anybody has any like that. Nobody is safe. Yeah. Nobody has any idea who is going to who's going to drop. Yeah, and, right. You know, uh, everybody, like I said, pile of corpses at the end of this season. All right, on to Team Stark. All right. Currently led by Sansa, who has had maybe the worst time of any character. Yeah. Um, she was married off to two reprehensible human beings. Uh, Tyrion's okay. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're right. I, you know, everybody forgets that she is technically like Tyrion's, uh, Tyrion's wife. Yeah. Or, yeah, I, I certainly <laughs> forgot that. First, she was with Joffrey, uh, a nightmare from which she will probably never recover. Uh, yes. Uh, then most of her time was spent with Littlefinger, and eventually she figures out that Littlefinger is... Creepy, creepy, creepy. One of the worst people in a cast that yes. contains people who uh, should be put to death for a variety of reasons. She is currently running the show at Winterfell. She is Lady Stark. She has managed to unite her people Largely by simply being there in the first scene of one of the earliest scenes of the first episode of season seven, Jon Snow is at Winterfell, has reunited with his family uh, or reunited with her. He has not yet seen Arya, but reunited with Sansa and is saying to all of the lords and all the bannermen, join us or be eaten by the undead. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are there for him, but they're also there for Sansa. Right. And she knows, you know, she knows what she's doing. She's a, she is a decent, she's a perfectly decent ruler. Right. And uh, we last see her pulling off uh, one of the best cons in the show's history, where she basically flushes out Peter Baelish as a traitor and an awful person and accuses him of treason and being generally being a jerk and Arya kills the crap out of him and it's fantastic. Yeah, you you love this scene. Oh my it god. Seems like it, to me. It's magnificent. I uh, yeah, uh, it's good to see that because people were a little worried about this whole little finger thing and especially after her entire arc of her sort of getting agency and learning how to really play the game and then to see her pull one over on the sort of the like masterclass totally. uh, character in there. She's really the, something. Yeah. She conned the con man. Exactly. And it, uh, it's incredibly satisfying. It really is amazing. And I am here for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of her. Sansa Stark, dead or alive. She's going to live. You know, I can totally see that. Yeah. I think, yeah. 
I think she's earned it, frankly. <laughs> but yeah, big, big time. I mean, I mean, no one ever earns. No, that's uh, true. That's a their fair point. survival in in the Game of Thrones. But I feel like it just it seems right. I believe at the end of this whole show, she sits on she she sits on the throne at Winterfell. Winterfell, yeah, she's running the show in the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings us to her sister, the most badass child in Westeros, Arya Stark. Well, she's just. The best. Arya Stark is the best. She sort of went through bodies. She just left a stack of bodies in her wake. Yes. This season. She killed all the remaining Freys after killing Walder Frey, yeah. baking her his sons into a pie, and then stuck around, put on Walder Frey's face, yeah. and then killed every remaining male Frey. So it's entirely possible that the female Freys will line up with the Starks, having been liberated from maybe the most toxically masculine family in Westeros, which is saying something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. she uh, was last seen reuniting with Sansa and forming an alliance there. They got on the same page. They are two sisters that have never really gotten along right. uh, when they were younger. Sansa thought Arya was a tomboy and useless. And Arya thought that Sansa was an airhead and useless. Yeah, that's what to say. And, and yeah, sort of vice versa. It went, uh, it went both ways. And she is the best example of leave one wolf alive and the sheep are never safe. Right, she, right. She puts it to the phrase before she kills all of them. Yeah, we last see her holding a bloody knife, standing over Littlefinger like a boss. Do you think she's going to die? Uh, it's heartbreaking to say, but I think she dies. I think you're right. It's gonna be rough. It's but, that uh, one's if that if that happens, that that is the one that is going to wound me the deepest. Yeah, I I think fans all over are going to be just like openly weeping when um I'm when, getting upset just thinking about when it. She gets, <laughs> when she gets bodied, everyone is going to be screaming at their television. Which brings us to Bronze Stark. Uh, who we last saw being a little bit extra as the three-eyed raven. That dude is a bit of a drama queen. I mean, I might be too if I had gotten dropped out of a tower when I was about eight and had my back broken and then literally dragged around Westeros trying to figure out what the next step is. He is now officially the three-eyed raven. Yeah. He is not quite human anymore. No. He seems to be able to see almost everything in the past and maybe a little bit of the future. They've sort of made that a little weird, made that a little vague, but he is kind of a, a deus ex machina character in that he can spit back at you things you have said right? that uh, reveal the truth about you. He notes to Littlefinger that Littlefinger is responsible for the death of Ned Stark, which nobody quite knew until that moment they sort of suspected it maybe but braun is now hanging out at winterfell sort of stuck there as three-eyed raven and gives us the biggest reveal of the series at the very end of episode seven yes just to make sure it's bran don't tell me you you actually call him braun no 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 i you're right no you are absolutely correct it is bran stark as in raisin bran stark yeah yeah raisin bran yeah he's he's got the i mean basically in one of the i mean i'm gonna have to go back to season six real quick just because when when they do the tower of joy scene and he's seeing you know he's seeing that big fight once again and they have the scene with ned and liana Promise me, Ned. Promise me. And then they have that zoom in on the baby and then that smash cut to Jon Snow sitting up in Winterfell. (sighs) 
It's just the best. You have, and the, you have the best expression on your face. Right uh, now. It is wonderful. I have in the past week rewatched that scene probably about 15 times. Um, well, I'm exaggerating a little bit. You know but. that you know that meme where Drake looks like a proud girlfriend? That's sort of what you've got <laughs> going on right now. It, uh, um, but yeah, he's got he's got the info and he's got the real info. And, and I love how, you know, this Sam comes up and kind of is like, oh, and I've got the confirmation, by the way, you know, that, yeah. that this isn't just the son. This is the true born son. He's the man. Yeah. Bran Stark lives or dies. Um, Bran's got to die. I think he's got to die. See, I think he's got to live. Yeah. Because he's, he's going to be like well, the a, protection in the future. Well, or he's something. kind of a god now. Yeah. Like he, he's, we don't really know the extent. We don't really know what a three-eyed raven is. No, does. we really don't. It's all very mysterious. So they've got this, yeah, they've got this, uh, you know, little computer hanging out at Winterfell. Yeah. Letting you know what's, what's, uh, what's going on. With like the, uh, you know, emotions of a stool. <laughs> yeah. He's just, um, who we have left on the Stark side? Oh, Sam. Samuel Tarley. Yes. Uh, he is where we last see him. He is receiving the information from, from Bran Stark. Yeah. That, that Jon Snow is the rightful king. And Sam is it's, Sam's Jon's friend. Yeah. It's really like two crucial pieces of information coming together. It's yeah. Bran saying, guess what? You know, Liana and Rhaegar were in love and had a child and then Sam showing up saying uh yeah and that's your that's your half brother <laughs> and he's like your half brother well actually he's your cousin yeah right? that's our boy yeah and he um he's sort of setting himself up to be I, I kind of love the fact that he dropped out of Maester School. Yeah. Because he was basically a glorified intern. Right. <laughs> even though he figured out how to cure Jorah of his dragon scale and which enables Jorah to go off and I don't know, be Jorah somewhere else. Right. And but he still he still bounces and heads off to Winterfell and mm-hmm. where he proves very useful. I like the idea that he will be the maester of Winterfell or, you know, a potential hand to a king at some point. But I think he's probably going to die. I disagree. I and in fact, if I'm going to put a lock on somebody to live, bring it. I'm putting it on sand. Really? Yes. That's- I think that this character more so than anyone else is George R.R. R. Martin putting himself into plugging himself into the story as just this kind of he's the author insert. As he they is say. basically like and, and yeah. And I would say that like Sam is the guy that is going to write the song of ice and fire. That is a very good point. I, yes. I had not thought of that. It's not. Yeah. And it's not my original thought. I'd I'd heard it somewhere else. And I just and I and I and I was like, this is right. And I I believe it. I believe it with my heart that he is going to be if anyone lives, if I'm going to Vegas and I'm going to check and and I'm going to and I'm going to place my my bet on anyone, it's going to be on him. I'm feeling it. I like that theory. Yeah. I think the last two people on Team Stark that we got to address are Bran of Tarth. Hmm. another favorite of mine yeah, what's not to like she's fantastic nothing, nothing absolutely nothing uh she is last seen i think trying to talk some sense into jamie at the parlay right that's where we sort of last see her yeah but she is very obviously with the starks and training warriors at winterfell and we see her sparring with Arya in one scene which is great <laughs> yeah Felt like real fan service, but I was all in for it. Yeah, it it was totally, it was totally excellent. This, you know, very, very tall woman and this uh, girl who looks like she could fit in your pocket. Yeah, I love that they have that little like game recognized game look uh, that they share. It's Uh, like watching Yoda fight that guy in 
in uh, one of the Star Wars movies where he just like leaps into the air and starts flipping around. Wonderful. So, is she toast? Yeah. Yeah, she's going to die huge. It's going to be awesome. Oh gosh. It's going to be it's it's going to be probably for me the second most upsetting oh, totally. uh, uh death be but crying. yeah, I believe it is going to be a real sort of plot device that is going to fuel Jamie's rage that is ultimately going to lead him to That's a great uh, strangle idea. the life out of his uh, out of his sister. That's a great idea. I'm into it. And I also want to give a shout out to Liana Mormont the oh. second most badass little girl in Westeros. Are you sure even second most? Because dear lord. it's That's true. She has leadership qualities that Arya does not. She is running Bear Island and she's like 10 years old. Yeah. And she's basically Jon Snow's hype man yeah. during the meeting in the first episode of season seven where people are like, I don't know if we want to do this. And she stands up and says, I don't plan on knitting by a fire while men fight for me. And she's like this tall. Yeah. She's like, we're going to train the girls and the boys. Yeah, She's like everybody over the age of 10 is going to defend my island and basically shames for the second time on the show. Yeah. Shames a whole bunch of much older dudes into coming. Correct. She is fantastic. I really hope she doesn't die, but I, I do not. I'm not going to, uh, put any money on it i'm not a wealthy man i'm saying she lives she's a survivor the survivor i hope she rides out she's she runs a place called bear island right i would like to see her ride out on a bear <laughs> like holding a sword and killing a white walker with like a uh, a dragon stone a uh, dragon glass sword on a bear killing a white walker that's but that's just me one thing about her and then we can move on it's just that i am hoping really really hoping that there is a little bit of a reunion between her and Jorah Mormont. That would be very cool. Because he was basically cast out from the family for being a slaver. And that's how you kind of catch up with him in season one, is that he's been cast out of the of the Mormon family. Yeah. And so I really want to see them get together because I really want to just see her dress down him like so he, really harshly. He is getting dragged by a yes. 10 year old. I want some her to point. speak harshly, but truly. Yeah, they're um, let's let's quickly check in with uh, Team Baratheon, who are mostly dead. Right. right? OK. So I just want to say a quick word about Robert Baratheon. He has been dead for a very long time, but he comes up in season seven because it turns out that his whole theory of the war is wrong, that Lyanna Stark was not kidnapped by Rhaegar Targaryen, but the two of them fell in love and had this child. So Robert's rebellion was built squarely on a lie. And so the entire, uh, this is, uh, it, to put it in like, you know, sort of comic book terms, this timeline should not exist <laughs> because Robert was just wrong. Yeah. And his rebellion instigates, we are post Robert's rebellion when the show starts. And at the end of season seven, we realize that it was based on a lie. Even from beyond the grave, Robert Baratheon still screwing up. Yes. And to build on that point is that you still feel the pull of Ned Stark as well, because with that false narrative also comes Ned's knowledge Absolutely. Of, of that. So the man who is, you know, basically the sort of bastion of honor and loyalty and everything like that, turns out he was holding a big, big thing back from his entire family. And the guy who's essentially like his best friend and everything like that, his like most trusted. Yeah, you know, totally. and, and so 
Yeah. That both of them still felt very much in this universe. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you a question because uh, I truly don't know the answer. Is Stannis dead? I can't remember. He's that boring. Oh, yes. Stannis is big, big time dead. But I mean, when did he die? Brienne found him sitting next to a, a tree, basically, like after Ramsey Bolton kind of smashed his army at his failed attempt to okay. to, to go after um, Winterfell. So, and Brienne finds him and basically gets her sort of final justice from a killing going all the way back to his his and Robert's little brother. His name is is escaping me right now. The third, the, young, the other the, Baratheon. Yeah, that the other else Baratheon um, that she was originally. That was who she Renly? had her. Was yeah, Renly, Renly? Renly, that that she originally had her sort of big oath to. Yeah. Uh, so she gets that final sort of revenge against. So in some. The Baratheons, still boring, still screwing up. Still dead. <laughs> All of them are dead. Let's end, on, let's end on two characters whose fate is super vague at the moment. Okay. Uh, first, this is going to sound odd, but Robin Aaron. Robin Aaron is still floating around. He, I believe he's at the Airy. His mother is dead. His father is dead. He's still really weird <laughs> and incapable of fighting. Do you think we're going to see that guy again? No, I don't. You think he's just off the board? Yeah, I think, I think we're done. Goodbye, we're done goodbye Robin. And, and it stinks that because I feel like uh, that, that there's just not enough time. There's only six episodes. And sure, like a lot of them are 80 minutes long or whatever, but there's not enough time. He prob- we're just going to assume until we see otherwise, we're going to assume he just fell out the moon door. Yeah. The last character I want to check in with, because we did not actually see her die, and she was one of my personal favorites, Ilaria Sand, who is currently in a prison in King's Landing, watching her daughter, one of the Sand Snakes, die from the same poison that she used to kill Cersei's daughter. And we're back to me describing this as if it is as the world turns (laughs) with swords. Right. And it works somehow. Do you think um, she's still around? No, I think she's dead. She's probably dead. I, and, off the board. And, and, the, and the deal with that is, to me, is that I, I think the showrunners realized that they had kind of take, had a few missteps with the whole Sand Snakes thing. And so I think they're ready to just kind of put that behind them and say, okay, we don't really need to show them anymore. We can just presume that, she, that they're, Man, they're dead. Man, I love the Sand Snakes and Oberyn Martell. Mourn you till I join you. <laughs> that guy was amazing. Yes. The Hound. Oh, so uh, the Hound, oddly enough, still around after losing huge to Bran of Tarth and getting stared down by young Arya Stark, who just sort of leaves him to die. He's still with us. Yeah, somehow. And I'm so happy for it. He's a wonderful character. He's in, he's incredible. He's a minor character and that is somehow managed to have one of the one of the better character arcs of any of them. I do so miss the days when it was him and Arya trekking about. That was such a great dynamic duo. Um, if there was anything that was a sort of comedic foil ever in the show, it was them. Um, yeah, they were amazing. Yeah. I would watch a show of them driving around in a van solving mysteries. Absolutely. <laughs> they were a great, great couple. But at the end of the day, she was a, the hound was on her list. Yeah. And she leaves him to die. Yeah. And I think. I wonder if he's going to take that personally, because clearly they're going to meet again. Yeah, I personally don't think so. You don't think so? No, I think that he I think that there is a level of love for her Uh and that 
he himself being a a real killer who's kind of on a bit of a path of redemption i just don't see any sort of vengeance being part of that so yeah i think i mean i i really am looking forward to some sort of reunion between them but you don't think it's going to be a violent i don't think so especially as you pointed out earlier if he and Arya somehow team up to take out the mountain that would be very fan servicey but it would also be totally awesome absolutely and you know like a a, a good wrestling booking or something it would be <laughs> just just amazing yeah this is hulk hogan andre the giant you know once again yeah so that's sort of where we are that's everybody thank you for joining us for the premiere episode of win or die we will be back next week for a discussion of the first episode of season eight Win or Die is hosted by Joe Gross and Phil Jankowski and produced, engineered, and edited by Jane Alexander for Austin 360, The Austin American Statesman, and Gatehouse Media. This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com.